0: going to be looking at John 1, verses 16, 17, and 18. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 1, 16. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, we thank you for this moment to to participate in this rhythm, this means of grace that, frankly, all of us need of, of coming together with your people, of circling again your word, seeing what you have to communicate to us doing that in such a way to where we're then worshiping you, holding you high, responding uh, to your good news of your gospel with worship. Lord, this is a rhythm that you've called your people to always do, and so, Lord, it's a blessing just to be here. Lord, in this Christmas season, as we uh, ponder the incarnation that you have come, Lord, I pray that that would be good news to us. I pray that we wouldn't just understand it uh, theoretically i pray that we would understand it theoretically but but not stop there i pray that that would then drip down into our hearts and our affections and our our spiritual lives and i pray it would bring us great joy as we ponder the fact that you have come lord i pray that uh, your spirit would come in such a way that he would do the work that only he can do of giving us eyes to see giving us faith Convicting us where we need conviction and encouraging us where we need encouragement. And so, Lord, we invite your spirit to be in our midst these next moments together. Finally, Lord, I pray I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, cancel culture is all about ostracizing people, either socially or online or professionally. It's ostracizing people for some sort of social sin. I was a student in the 1990s, and in the 1990s, we had a a really good and healthy debate about the N-word. We we we, we wrestled with that, and we came together, really as a society, and said, the N-word is not something we're gonna use anymore. And so, uh, of course, back then, you didn't really have anything online, but professionally and socially, it became an ostracizing thing if someone used the N-word. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that it wasn't appropriate anymore to make a joke using that or to call someone that. It was such a good moment, I think, where our society landed at a really good place. And we're at a place now where I hope we always remain, where that word is maybe even worse than a cuss word in so many corners. So I think it's so good. Much of the contemporary cancel culture began in the Me Too movement in 2017, where a group of ladies very courageously came out and shared about Harvey Weinstein, a very powerful uh, producer in Hollywood who had sexually abused a, a series of women. And, and it began a, a conversation in our culture, better understanding what sexual abuse is and, and how it impacts people. And, and it came out in such a great way to where uh, powerful men like Harvey Weinstein, where it was no longer acceptable uh, for them to behave that way. And, and, of course, all of that still happens today. But, this, but, but there's now been this social pressure on, on men at so many different categories of our society and places in our society that those things are, are, are acceptable and they're going to be talked about and addressed. All of those things I'm so thankful for. However, the cancel culture has also had a, had a chilling effect in some areas that concern me. I, I think cancel culture has had a chilling effect on free speech. And it's also been harsh on people that, that maybe I would even agree with. For example, if you're a celebrity, yet you disagree with progressives' view of, a, of the sexual revolution, then you just need to be prepared that if you're on a Disney Plus TV show, you're, you're probably not going to be on there for long. Or if you're a rugby player in New Zealand, there's a good chance you're not going to be able to keep your job. So there's been a real chilling effect on, on free speech and, and even on religious liberty. I, I read an article uh, this week. of, of the, the entire article was making the case that George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life is actually a misogynist. I just thought, man, do you, you have nothing better to do. I mean, just leave George Bailey alone, okay? It's Christmas time. I, I, I feel, uh, and this is maybe... Maybe just me, but I feel sometimes a social pressure to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And then when I do say Merry Christmas, man, I just feel like I've done something very courageous, right? Listen, as Christians, we recognize that words matter, right? And we want to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. However, my primary criticism and Christian criticism of the cancel culture is that it's so unredeeming. It's so legalistic. It's so mob-driven, and, and I think it can be, become even meaner than the pilgrims and Hawthorne's the scarlet letter. Like, like, where's the hope for the lady who said the N-word and now regrets it? Like, where's, uh, can, can the abuser get into heaven? Are there any redeeming qualities in an old Christmas movie? Jesus offers something better than an ethic that is based upon perfectly following all the rules and some of the rules that change, right? Like there's going to be a word that we learn six months from now that we didn't even know existed today, and that's the word that we're supposed to use now. Like, like if our uh, identity, our hope for happiness, our, our, our understanding of if we're a good or bad person are, are based upon all these rules, rules that we can't even keep then we're in trouble. But Jesus offers us something better than that type of religion. Today we close our study again of, of this prologue of John's gospel where it really we've been circling the incarnation and all that it means that Jesus came and, and that he came on that Christmas morning. And John 1, 16 to 18 teaches us that the gospel is better than religion because Jesus' glory is on display. But the problem is, is that we all very instinctively embrace religion we all very instinctively kind of uh, set up all these standards of this is right, this is wrong. And those standards are usually kind of brought down low enough for us to jump over them. And then when we, when we are able to jump over them, we feel good about ourselves. And when somebody else is unable or unwilling to jump over them, then we look down and judge them, right? Like, like that, that's such a human instinct to do that. We, 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 we just set up all these man-made rules, and then we try to find glory in that. Like when we're able to, to say the right word or, or, or keep the right standard, whatever it is, th- then we feel great about ourselves and we strive for that as if it's some sort of glory. But uh, we, we do that in the face of Jesus being this greater glory, this greater creation, this greater creator. As a result, John 1, 16 to 18 is going to call us to believe something better than following the rules. And listen, never forget that legalism always turns mean, doesn't it? There's something mean in all these religions and all these uh, legalistic rules. Okay, verses 16 to 18. It serves kind of as a commentary, if you will, on verse 14. If you look at the prologue, probably 14 is the great uh, climax of this opening section. And 16 to 18 kind of looks back and and it makes some commentary on 14. And if you remember 14, 14 uh, declares that Jesus incarnated himself in such a way that he shines his glory. And the glory that he shines is that he's Full of grace and that he's full of truth. Jesus is glorious because he's full of grace and that he's full of truth. And John is going to really expand this idea of fullness. Look with me at verse 16, and we're going to see that the gospel is better than religion. Verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Again, fullness is kind of the link between 16 16 to 18 back to 14. So he, he, he jumps off from... That he's full of grace and full of truth in 14. And then he expands using this word of fullness here in 16. So when baby Jesus came, we saw something glorious, right? We saw God himself. More specifically, we saw the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. Grace, as we've talked about it, is just receiving mercy when judgment is due. Someone deserves judgment but then mercy is given. That, that's probably the best definition I can find of grace. Truth is uh, this idea that it is something that is right and it's good. And hear me on this. Truth is real. So truth is all of those things. It's right, it's good, and it's real. And that's why the truth sets you free. So that's why truth is so freeing because it's real. Not only is it the way we're supposed to go, but it's actually true. So when we're not following the truth or believing the truth, we're believing a lie. And by believing the truth, the truth then sets us free. But again, 114 explains that Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. Fullness also has this idea of completeness or it's taken to its intended end. This, the, the purpose of Him coming is grace and truth, and He is the full or, or the ideal uh, version of grace and truth. There's also a sense of behind this grace and truth, there's a divine element behind it. In other words, God in all of His resources, He's behind all that grace. He's behind all that truth when He incarnated Himself as a baby in the manger. So He's completely or fully grace and truth. Now, notice here again, too, that who benefits from this grace and truth? Is is it God that benefits from it, or is it us? We're we're the ones who benefit. We're we're the ones who receive it. So His fullness of grace and His fullness of truth, that's to be understood as a gift. It's a gift to us. And it's who He is. He is full of grace, and He is full of truth, but it's for us. It's a gift to us in that way. So these truths are not like irrelevant theology that priests and nuns and pastors and theologians debate right like there's real application to this this is this is relevant because it's a gift to us it's something that we received it has direct helpful application for us but specifically it results in us receiving grace upon grace what a marvelous gift what a wonderful phrase right now, in some sense, grace upon grace, it's kind of similar to holy of holies or song of songs. It's, it's there for emphasis, okay? But also grace upon grace, it, it explains the nature of his grace. It, it's, it's not just one single grace. It's, it's continuous grace. It's, it's grace upon grace. And, and further, it's out of his full divinity. So he gives us grace on top of grace, and in addition to the grace that he's already given to us. So, so it's there for emphasis, but it also explains it. So he gives us grace, but then even more grace. Have you ever been to the beach and you write something in the sand and then the waves come and what, what happens to the thing you've written? Well, it kind of wipes it away or washes it away. Or maybe you built the sandcastle and you thought it was kind of safely back and then the, the tide comes a little bit closer and then it just kind of wipes out the whole sandcastle. I think that's the best picture of grace upon grace. That grace comes and then it continues to come and then it comes again. And there's just this inexhaustible grace that just keeps coming and coming and coming. So His grace came in the past. It's here in the present. It'll be there in the future. But it's need to be understood that that grace that met you today, it's going to keep meeting you throughout the day. His grace, that mercy, that thing that, not that you deserve, but that that good thing that He gives you, it's going to meet you every moment. It's going to meet you every day. It's going to meet you every week. It's going to meet you every month. It's going to keep coming year after year and decade after decade. His grace just keeps coming. It's grace on top of grace on top of grace. And what does it do? It just mows us over every time. Maybe sticking with my image here. Maybe you, you wrote something in the sand you should have written. And that grace comes and wipes it away. And you write something else, and it just comes and wipes that away. His grace just keeps coming. And can you stop the ocean? Can you stop the waves? No, it just keeps coming. There's nothing to stop it. It's more, it's more powerful than any silly sandcastle you build. It just mows it over. No matter what you have in your life that, it, that is still there, it just keeps coming. It just keeps forgiving. It just keeps giving you these good things over and over and over, and there's nothing more powerful. From Jesus, we receive one wave of grace. Then it's replaced by another fresh wave, and there's no limit to His supply of good mercy when you don't deserve it. What a wonderful Christmas gift, amen? What a glorious uh, gift that God has given us. You remember 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 9? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let me ask you this. In what ways are you weak and insufficient? Like in what ways are you thematically, like again and again and again, weak and insufficient? Like, what are those lifelong struggles? Like, like maybe for you, it's, it's a critical spirit. Maybe it's language that you use that you shouldn't use. Maybe it's lustful thoughts. Maybe it's a self-righteous or, or a prideful attitude. Maybe it's those lingering doubts. Hear me, friends. God's grace is sufficient for, and it's more powerful than all those things. All those things, if you will, are just that silly little sandcastle. As overwhelming as they are to you, your struggle is that sandcastle, and His grace is going to keep coming over and over and over again. The sins you commit tomorrow, His grace is going to meet you there. It's going to be grace on top of grace. Jesus' greatest gift to you is grace, and then it's more grace, and then it's an eternal ocean of even more grace. What a glorious image. You see, He gave it to you when you were born, Right? And then he gave it to you again when you were born again. And he's going to continue to give it to you as you're conformed into his image, into this new creation. And then into eternity, that's what you're going to experience. Just this ocean of mercy, this ocean of grace, an eternity of something that you did not earn, this eternity of something that you didn't deserve. Your job is to let it roll over you. Your job is simply to receive it. His is this ocean of grace, and then we just receive it. Our world is filled with cancel culture. It's one rule after another and then another rule. Rules that you can't ever live up to. It's filled with standards you don't even know know, uh, existed. It's unattainable measure after unattainable measure. It's rule after rule. It's law after law. But isn't grace better than the law? Amen? Wouldn't you rather those waves be God's grace than it just be one more law, one more wrong one more step that you can't ever attain. grace is better than the law that's really the point of verse 17. for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ grace is better than the law moses is good but jesus is better it's not that the law is bad like maybe this is dark and uh, that i go to this example so quickly but 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 think of murder like a law against murder that's good right like we would agree that we should have a law against murder and we should be thankful for those things but but jesus is concerned with murder but but he really always cuts to the heart so jesus is concerned with with hate so hear me i like i thank god that we live in a, a culture and a society to where the n-word has been ostracized that's not something that we say we recognize that 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 uh, that that's been hurtful. That's been demeaning to people. That's an awful thing. But Jesus is in the business to even, even going further than that because Jesus forgives racist. But Jesus actually goes even further than that. Jesus is in the business of getting into the heart of a racist and changing their heart from hating people who are different than them to actually loving people who are different than them and serving people who are different with them. That's what those waves of grace look like. That's how grace is better than the law. It's not that the law is bad. The law is good, but isn't grace so much better? The law was a gift, but grace is eternally superior than the law. Moses is good, but Jesus is better. John 1:17 makes one more point about all this grace. You see, grace upon grace is not just a concept or a truth. It's a person. Jesus is the, the one who's identified as, as the giver of that grace and truth. All that is through him. So this means that Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the grace. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is this ocean that just washes over us. Jesus is the one who who, uh, washes over every insufficiency, every weakness, every sin. Jesus is the one who does this. If you look down into John 2, there's this great story of Jesus' first miracle. Do you remember what it was? He's at the wedding and he turns uh, water into wine, right? And there's so many great things uh, about that story. But if you've ever seen the, the Chosen TV show, they do, they do a great job uh, with that scene. And, and one of, there's a, I always think it's kind of a funny little comment that's made in that story. That as you know, the wine runs out, and they, you know, they, Jesus commands them to, to fill up these jars with water, and then he uh, miraculously turns that water into wine, and then they start you know, serving it. And they, this poor couple you know, saves face with, other uh, guests, but there's a funny comment that's made. The that people start saying, "Man, this is so amazing! Like most weddings we go to, they they you know they they wait to give you the they give you the good wine at first, and then the cheap wine later. But man, this is the good stuff. You you know you've given us the good stuff now. Like over time, this has gotten better. Well, that that's what happens when Jesus touches something, right? Like when Jesus gets a hold of something, it only gets better over time. Like as time goes by, it only gets better." That, that's Jesus' grace. Like, His grace met you in the past, and it was glorious. It's meeting you right now, and it's wonderful. But it's going to meet you for the rest of your days and on into eternity. It, it just gets better over time. That, that's this concept of, of waves of grace. Your relationship with Christ just gets better. Jesus, or, uh, Paul explains... Um, some of the virtues of the law in Romans 7. And again, this gets to where uh, grace is just even so much better. But let let me read Romans 7, 7 to 8. He says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I I would not have known my sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, Produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. But then he reasons in Romans 3.24, that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So where the law ultimately failed grace and truth became the solution. It's not that the law was bad. There was good things about the law, namely that it highlighted that you needed grace. That's the great gift of the law is that, that it calls for something better. And so the law in a sense was a light, but Jesus is the true light. But, but again, it's, this is a person, right? So Jesus is the light. Therefore, God has moved from giving to his people to actually coming to his people. That's what Christmas is. We have this great grace of not just platitudes or truth or or like, I believe in love or I believe in truth or or all these things. I believe in Jesus. Jesus has come. God has given this grace upon grace, including the fact that he has come and that he is with us. Do you remember when God described himself in Exodus 34? This is how God describes himself. This is how he's this gracious gift to all of us. In Exodus 34, 6, he says, The Lord, the Lord... A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the gospel is better than religion. Grace is better than the law. Jesus is better than Moses. He's this ocean of grace that will never stop sending you wave after wave after wave of his mercy. You know what all this means? It means that Jesus is God on display. Those truths are glorious, but they're talking about Jesus. So when we see Jesus, we see God on display. We we see something that is glorious. We see Him. There's there's nothing more glorious. Look with me at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. You know what happened in the Old Testament if if you saw God? It was a death warrant. Like, Like if fallen humanity saw this being that was perfectly holy... It was perfectly righteous. It was perfectly good. It was all powerful. It was so glorious. And probably the best scene I've ever seen is, I mean, like think Indiana Jones when they open up the Ark of the Covenant, everybody's faces melt. That's what it was like to see God in the Old Testament, okay? You were were just going to die, okay? So being in God's presence, seeing God, that meant death until God graciously chose to reveal himself, reveal himself in a way to where his presence and seeing him doesn't bring death, it brings life. That's that's what he does here with us. And this is now, then, if you will, it's a full circle that has happened here in John chapter 1. God has revealed himself, he has incarnated himself. And now it's good news. Let me just read John 1 1 to 10 again. God has made himself known. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might uh, believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Then verse 9 and 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. When baby Jesus was born that first Christmas, he was God on display. And and it didn't have anything to do with his eye color or his hair color. It had everything to do with those divine, glorious attributes. He was all of those things. It was a visual of divinity. This was God. We could see full grace. We could see full truth. Humanity no longer had... Uh, concepts. We had visuals. We, we we saw him calming storms. We saw him multiplying loaves. We we, we saw him uh, uh, forgiving torturers. We saw him uh, uh, taking sinners' hearts and, and transforming them. We, we moved from like uh, an illustration like that like a powerful constant waves of an ocean to an actual person. Jesus is the waves. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the grace. Jesus is grace upon grace. Jesus is God on display. John closes uh, this prologue by moving from the incarnation to the gospel. He's landing on the good news here. This is what is so good. The, the, The fact that Jesus is grace upon grace. Jesus is God on display. This is the great good news that calls us to worship Him here at the end. It means that Jesus is better than religion because Jesus is more glorious than anything else that religion could produce. So John 1, 16 to 18 is this called to believe. It's called to believe in something better. Something better than that old religion. Something better than trying to find your worth and keeping the rules or measuring yourself better than other people. It's calling you to something better. It's calling you to a gospel. So I have two admonitions, if you will, for you this morning, that this Christmas, number one, turn to the gospel over religion. Religion is all about finding your identity and following the rules. It's about uh, priding and having all the nuances of your political positions figured out or all the nuances of your theological uh, positions figured out. It's about feeling good about yourself for having all your family boxes checked. If you're, like, doing, moms, if you're doing Christmas perfect this year, like, we are impressed, okay? Just don't look down on us, okay? (laughs) Because you're, like, the only one. Thinking you're superior because so many people like you. Or maybe it's the flip. Thinking you're superior because no one likes you. No one can really, you know, understand you. And you're so far beyond everybody else. That stuff is poisonous. Like, the danger of cancel culture. Religion is just merciless. It's harsh. It's harsh. There's no grace in the ethic of the culture warriors. Any religion you choose might make you feel good in the moment, but in the end, it's going to devour your soul. That's what religion always does. But Jesus offers something better. He offers a never-ending, all-powerful wave of grace upon grace. There, there's grace when you keep all the rules, and there's grace when you don't or you can't. There's grace when you have it all together and grace when your life and your family's a mess. There's grace when, uh, when they like you and there's grace when they don't. Jesus will never stop blessing you with his mercy. So turn to the gospel over religion. The second thing I have for you is this Christmas, turn to Jesus for glory. Do you remember the Christmas prophecy from Isaiah 9? Isaiah 9, 6 says, "'For unto us a child is born.'" To us, a Savior is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As a church, some of us have been reading together the Sinclair Ferguson Advent book, and, and Ferguson makes a great comment about this verse. He says that Isaiah saw that this child would be everything that we lack. For our confusion, he would be a, the wonderful counselor. For our weaknesses, He would be the mighty God. For spiritual orphans and prodigal sons, He's the everlasting Father. In our distress, He comes to us as the Prince of Peace. Friends, there isn't anything more glorious than that. That's all I got for you. There's nothing better than that. I don't have anything else to sell to you that's better than that. If you're looking for something beyond that, you're looking for a glory that doesn't exist. That's the most glorious thing that there is. Turn to Jesus for glory. Turn turn to Him as the solution for your problem. Turn to Him as your creator or or the one that you're supposed to faithfully obey. Turn to Him as, as that source of abundant life and happiness and fulfillment and meaning and joy. That's where all that is found. It's found in Him. Turn to Him as the light, the light for the way you should live your life. Turn to Him for truth. Turn to Him for grace. Turn to Him for glory. I love hearing my daughter sing. I'm not a singer. If... If you hear some weird noises out of our speaker, that's probably because I forgot to turn off my mic. And anyway, it gets ugly when I sing around here. But Kinley's a a great singer, and she's in a school choir. And I think because I'm not a musician, it's kind of surprised me how much I've just enjoyed her singing. I've uh, really enjoyed her little choir concerts. And uh, her school choir had a little Christmas concert a couple of weeks ago. And uh, she goes to a little Christian school, and she has a great choir teacher. and he did a good job of highlighting uh, at that Christmas concert that really at Christmas, and, and you think of Christmas songs, there's kind of a mixture of nostalgic Christmas songs and then like worshipful Christmas songs, right? Like, you know, like Jingle Bells, for example. It doesn't have anything to do with baby Jesus, right? It doesn't mean it's bad, it's nostalgic, and that's fine. But it's not necessarily a worship song. But much of Christmas music really is about nostalgia. And, and I think that there's some sense that that's what makes it wonderful, Right? Like that's something that we all cherish and enjoy about Christmas, and I do too. It also can be what that nostalgia can be what makes Christmas so hard and sad for so many of us that we remember who is not with us. However, it can also be a thing that takes us out of the grind. And, and, and I think this is maybe the greatest gift of the nostalgia of Christmas is that it's sort of a changing of gears a little bit, right? It, we, we mix up the schedule, and, and there's an ability sometimes to just kind of back up and, and reflect and ponder on the eternal things and on the glorious things, on the unchanging things. And those things are so key because that's where we find joy, right? Like, jingle bells is fun, and I like jingle bells, but oh, holy night, that feeds my soul. That does something different to me. The reason is, is because Jesus has come. He came as a humble baby in a humble manger. But He was no mere baby. He was the creator of the world. He was the, 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 the life that gives abundant life to all of us. He, he was the light of the world that, that shines and shines in a way that nothing can overcome it. He was fully God and fully grace and fully truth. He's this unstoppable, all-powerful, refreshing, continual ocean waves of grace upon grace. He's all of these things. He's better than any religion. He's more glorious than any glory you can find in this earth. So believe in something better. Believe in something better than just perfectly following the rules. Friends, turn to the gospel over religion. And brothers and sisters, this Christmas, turn to Jesus for glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you Even for that little phrase, grace upon grace. Thank you for the oceans of grace that you pour upon us. Thank you for all the ways that you forgive and empower and encourage. Lord, we just praise you. We praise you for all the mercy and and the good things that you've given us. And thus we worship you at Christmas. We praise you for coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.